Navigating Neva, Neva Nicole here. Today's episode is episode three. Today, I'm going to share with you what happens when we drown. And that's because I want no drownings. I want a zero drowning summer. I want you to be safe. I want each child to be safe. I'm an aquatic professional with 20 plus years experience in my industry. Check out my bio. From sitting on the stands and lifeguarding to certifying guards and running a pool, I have seen a lot and I'm here to share with you my opinions and resources that are already out there. I want you to stay safe and enjoy this summer. Listen up and have a happy and healthy summer. Always remember your safety comes first. I'm going to share with you my drowning story. When I was three years old, my grandparents had a pool. When we went swimming, we always had to have an adult with us. I remember this rule well. There were lots of times I wanted to go swimming and there was not an adult that was able to go outside with me. So I didn't get to go. On this particular day, I was not going swimming. There's a statistic for you guys. The NDPA says almost 70% of drownings happen during non-swimming times. I would have fallen into this category. My cousins were older than me and they were going outside to light smoke bombs. I wanted to go. I was told I could go outside, but I wasn't to leave the deck. My cousins were on the grass. They were down below the pool, below the deck. So I went outside, excited to see these smoke bombs my cousins were going to light. I dragged my little red table out. It was a children's plastic table from the 80s. It was metal covered in red plastic. I drug it as far as I could. Then I climbed on top to have a better view and watched my cousins. At some point, pretty sure it was pretty quick, I fell into the pool. One of the four legs of the table was on the lip of the pool. I was fully clothed and not prepared to go swimming. I went down and down and down. The little red table tumbled in two and it came down with me but it never touched me. I just saw it up above. I remember looking up as I sunk to the bottom. The pool was about seven feet deep, and for me, it was a slow sink to the bottom. I remember seeing rays of sunshine through the water, and I thought it was so pretty. Then I remember seeing the table. I don't remember being afraid. I don't remember feeling the water burn my nose like we sometimes do when we get water up our nose. Then, I remember seeing the pool from above the ground and my aunt running to the pool from the patio. I'm fine. I was fine. My aunt had been outside the whole time. She was on the porch. She saw me fall and got to me. Although my memory does not have this event as a traumatic event, I know it wasn't good. My mom tried to put me into swimming lessons and I was terrified. I hated it. Swimming lessons were a no-go for me at this age. We didn't go to swim lessons. I do remember later during my childhood, I would go underwater with my mask and go down as deep as I could so I could look up and see those sunshine rays through the water. To this day, it's still peaceful to me. So let's recap. When we talked about the layers of protection, you guys remember them? The supervise, have barriers, learn to swim, and what to do in an emergency. I was supervised. That first layer 
of protection is to supervise. Never let your children outside if you're not going to have someone watching them. I was. I was outside. My aunt was with me. Lucky for me, my family knew this rule. And there was an adult outside. Anytime children were outside, since we had a pool in the backyard. I would probably be another statistic had we not had this rule in place. On our water safety tips, we were to supervise our children when they're around water. No CPR and know how to respond. And that's what happened on this day. Today's lesson is drowning and how it happens. The American Red Cross breaks it down in their lifeguard training when you take a lifeguarding course. And that's what we're going to discuss. There are other organizations that talk about the drowning process too. The drowning process starts when water enters the airway, which results in laryngospasms, a sudden closure of the larynx or windpipe when air can't reach the lungs. Then the person cannot breathe. But the person may swallow water. With no air entering the airway, no oxygen reaches the bloodstream. With no oxygen in the bloodstream, the levels of oxygen start dropping. The laryngospasms may subside. So now the person can gasp for air, but they're going to be underwater. So they're going to inhale water. Water gets into the lungs. This wasn't taught when I got certified in 1999. What was taught is what comes next. Due to oxygen dropping in the blood that is being pumped, it isn't taking in any more oxygen, so the vital organs aren't getting any oxygen. This can occur in as little as three minutes. When I was trained, it was two minutes, but as science continues, we learn more. This is why I was so worried about knowing how to do CPR and perform it correctly. I sat in the break room reading the lifeguard manual for CPR because I wanted to make sure I knew it. And I knew it and I didn't forget it. Brain damage can occur in as little as four to six minutes. This was the data we received back then as well. So it is vital that I did not get distracted while lifeguarding. I had three minutes to see the person, three minutes to get to them and remove them from the water and give them life-saving skills if I wanted a good turnout. I didn't want my swimmer to be brain damaged because I wasn't paying attention. Like I like to say, no drownings, and drowning is preventable. It's important to know what happens when a drowning occurs so that you understand the urgency in responding, so that we know why stepping inside the house for a second just to grab a towel could be a life-threatening situation, or going in to answer the door could result in a life-altering event. Years ago, I used a video when I would do presentations for aquatic safety talks for the camp counselors, this video surveillance had footage from a facility in another country. When you watch the video, you see a child who appears to be playing or bobbing. The child doesn't look to be in distress. He continues to move about the water until he stops moving. Then he goes under a waterfall. The water pushes him underwater he quickly bob or floats back up. He's in the shallow water. It's shallow for us. It's not shallow for him. It's somewhere between three and a half and four feet in this lazy river. As we sat there watching the video, all the camp counselors were stunned. They were appalled. They were shocked. Like, 
why was this occurring? And nothing's happening. People were there, people were around, and people didn't notice. The idea that we have of a drowning person calling for help isn't really what happens. I mean, some do. Some can call for help. If I'm in the water and I I get a leg cramp, I could call out for help. If I'm caught in a current and it's pulling me. But usually when drownings occur, they're silent. There's active drowning and thus the person can't call out for help. You have to know what to look for. So back to the classroom. When the room full of eager camp counselors watched this video, we knew what we were looking for from the beginning of the video. Most of the time, a distressed swimmer that becomes an active drowning person that without help will soon become a floating person or maybe a sinking person. It may be a non-fatal drowning if the person gets the care they need promptly or it may become a fatal drowning. Only time will tell. When in doubt, help. A lot of little children look like they're playing when really they're struggling. This brings me to my next story. As I mentioned in the first episode, I saved my son after he had swimming lessons. We're going to talk more about that story in episode five. But today, I want to tell you about another time I had to save my son. He had had swimming lessons the summer before, and this was the spring after. So it was actually our first time back at the water. We were at a birthday party. It was a pool party. He was three, almost four. He hadn't been to the pool since last summer, but I'm a swim instructor and I'm a lifeguard. And this wasn't a public pool. It was a home pool in a backyard. And I was holding his little brother. He got into the water. We didn't put a life jacket on him because he'd had swimming lessons. He got in the pool, touched the bottom, then looked up at me in panic with fear in his eyes. He was jumping, bobbing backwards, not swimming. He was afraid and he was panicked. And the fear I could see in his eyes. I realized he was in distress and laid down on the deck, extending my arm out. As we discussed in episode two, when the whale's tails lesson says, reach your throw, don't go, I was reaching. I wasn't wearing swimming attire. I laid on the deck and I outstretched my arm and I felt his little fingertips. And then I didn't. He had jumped or bobbed backwards some more. He was traveling backwards. At superhuman speed, I went from a horizontal position on the deck to a vertical position in the water, faster than the speed of light, to grab my son. He never went underwater. He never swallowed water. But this event happened, and it happened fast. So fast. And it is still imprinted in my mind to this day. Probably because somewhere in my mind, I knew that I had this experience one time when I was little, the day I sunk to the bottom of the pool. And I had the knowledge, and I had the ability, and I was able to quickly respond. If not, he would have been another statistic. The leading cause for children ages one to four is unintentional drowning. It is and it has been. It continues to be. But he wasn't. This wasn't his story. I'm sure you listened and wondered what happened to his brother who I was holding. And to this day, I don't remember. He was old enough to sit, he was old enough to stand, and I assume in that moment of panic and fear, I set him down and then reached out to save his brother. Or maybe I passed him off to someone else who held him. 
but he didn't fall in the water, so he must have been somewhere safe. When things occur, sometimes they occur so quickly, you act without thinking, and this was one of those times. I'll put a poll on my Instagram page, and I want you guys to share with me if you've ever been in a situation where you were saved, or if you've ever been in a situation where you saved someone. I'm interested to know what the numbers are out there. There's a lot of data I'm sure that's never been recorded. There's a lot of times when things happen and we never follow it up with the necessary care, and then they're just never reported. Next, I want to share with you a story from a friend. This ties into our next episode when we talk about CPR and how important it is in the drowning process. This also goes back to our previous episode when we talked about watching our children when they're outside, even if they aren't intending to go swimming. In the first episode, we talked about layers of protection. We must look out for water. Water's everywhere. It's in your yard and it's in your home. Here's our story. One day, I was teaching CPR and I had a couple in class. And in the Red Cross videos, they like to do a good job of putting little intros in there and they pull on your heartstrings if you can relate to the story. This couple was bothered and I could tell, but I didn't say anything. I just went ahead and taught the class. At the end of the class, this woman said, we took this class because last fall we had an incident with our daughter. Their daughter fell into a bucket, a bucket in their backyard. The bucket was full of water and she fell in. So now when you see those 10 pound buckets and there's a sticker where it says, watch out, someone could fall in, it happens. Children and babies can fall into the bucket and we know you only need a few inches of water to drown, not the entire bucket. So one day, it wasn't summer, This mama walks outside to the fence in her yard and is talking to her neighbor. Her baby toddles out and finds its way to this bucket. She turns around and she sees that her baby's in the bucket. She grabs her and performs CPR as she remembers. 911 is called, 911 is dispatched, 911 arrives on scene, and the baby's breathing. The baby's crying and the baby appears just fine. But moments ago, the baby was not fine. So it's important to be on guard, to watch out for water in your yard. Watch for buckets, watch for pools of water, watch for flood water, watch for a baby pool that's filled up with water during the rain, watch out for a ditch. Just rain water pooling in the yard after heavy rains creates an area where someone can drown because it only takes inches. Be prepared. No CPR and be ready to use it. Do not hesitate to call 911 and have a phone nearby. Just a reminder, as I mentioned in last week's episode, that after any water event like this, we do need to follow up with emergency care. You need to tell your pediatrician you need to go to the hospital or maybe urgent care if it's open. You want to make sure that there's no water left in their lungs. You need to make sure they are safe. Let's look back at that drowning process again. First, there's panic. I saw panic and fear in my son's eyes. If no one intervenes, it continues. Then water gets into the airway, which results in laryngospasms. The air cannot reach the lungs. This is where that mama found her baby. The water was in the baby's lungs. If nothing happens, the process continues. 
If the water is in the person, it decreases buoyancy so that there's no movement and they'll start to sink. Cardiac or respiratory arrest occurs and in four to six minutes, brain damage is occurring. If you have anything you want to share with me and request, you can reach me at navigatingneva at gmail.com. Remember, no drowning. I want a zero drowning summer. Stay safe and enjoy the summer. Until next time, this is Neva Nicole with Navigating Neva.